1: Bye. Bye. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We have got uh, the first of a two-part episode coming at you today, and we are talking about one of our favorite weeks of the year. It's Band Book Week, friends. Hi, Amanda. Hi, everyone. Band Books Week. It's almost here. That last week of September. So when we're talking about Band Books Week, because this was actually a brainchild of my dear friend, Amanda, tell us what sparked this idea in you and kind of like where you are seeing this episode in two parts go.
0: Well, so here's the thing. Number one, we are in real time preparing for our festival. Our fall festival for 2021 is all centered around teaching dystopia, right? So for me, whenever I teach dystopia, this thread always surfaces. There are so many things in dystopia that are important, but the thread that keeps coming to life for me is this idea of who controls information and what happens when that information is twisted or put in the wrong hands and all of that censorship stuff really is a powerful thread for me in dystopia. So in the celebration of this festival coming up, I really thought it would be great for us to address our responsibilities in the classroom with regard to challenged books, censored books, banning books, all of the above. There are a lot of nuances to this experience as an English teacher right like we're the gatekeepers to so much cultural literacy experience for our students but we are also operating within a school district with parents and children and there are so many variables and i thought it would just be great to start the conversation here and then you can go to your departments and to your colleagues and continue the conversation
1: in whatever way you need to based on your circumstances right and that Kind of goes back to if you are listening to this episode, but you have not yet heard a few weeks ago, we did just making the case for dystopia why dystopia should be taught in every classroom and what it is about dystopia specifically that the two of us really subscribe to uh, when it comes to presenting our students with certain questions, with certain topics, with certain problems to solve and figure out. Give a listen to that episode. Head to the show notes and link. Up to that episode. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but listen to that episode first yeah. <laughs> and then come back to this one so that you can kind of get into the head of like what we're talking about here. Cause we are, like I said, it's a two part episode. This first part is going to be about exactly what Amanda was just talking about the decisions we make as teachers. Cause like it or not, we are gatekeepers. We are. Making a lot of decisions and those decisions carry weight. So, we're going to talk about that today. And then next week, we are going to talk about defending those decisions in a lot of ways and like when those decisions are challenged, specifically having to do with banned, censored, challenged, replaced texts, but also just like topics in the classroom. So, yes, we're talking specifically about materials and texts. Which are inherently going to lend themselves to a social science, especially an ELA classroom. But every classroom everywhere has real life kids who are living in the real life world, who have real life topics floating around in their heads. And hopefully they have an opportunity to talk about those topics or at least somehow process those things. And some things are taboo. So let's just poke a big hole in it and see where it goes. What do you think? I think it's time to cue the music. Cue the music. start by kind of laying a foundation of when we talk about banned books, that's just what we're going to call it, right? Banned books. What do we mean by that? Define banned books, my friend. So for
0: purposes of our conversation today, I want to talk about them as a situation where one party has deemed the content of a text threatening, dangerous, or unsuitable for a particular audience. So I think that's, that's helpful for us to think about the two pieces. There's the content and there's the audience, right? And that's really important for us as educators to take into account with every situation that we face. So I really think that our work is so densely tied into this because, you know, we serve a population, our students, who are impressionable, vulnerable, but also sheltered. And potentially living in a vacuum of ideas and values and beliefs. So we're always, at least in high school, I've never taught middle school and I've definitely not taught younger than that. But I feel like high school is a very tricky area where we want to expose our students to the real world so that when the real world comes at them, it's not the first time They've had to process that input and fiction, and even nonfiction gives us a great vehicle to do that. However, there are also (laughs) there's there's a big but there, right? There's a big however, but there because we need to also be sensitive to trauma, to misappropriation, to experiences, to genuine concerns. So, really, we're just kind of even equity is part of that conversation, right? So, as the curriculum builders in an English department, a science department, a math department, whatever text, social
1: studies we're putting in front of our students, we're making decisions that walk that line. Well, if we're thinking about equity in its truest form, which is equal opportunity or access, right? The same amount of access. And that's differentiated for the individual to X, Y, and Z that there's equity for you. That transcends, Culture transcends ability. It trans- Like it also has a lot of what you're talking about, the shelter, the uh, world in which the context through which a student is seeing whatever it is like to create experiences that are equitable, truly equitable in our classrooms. We have to take into consideration a lot of different things. And the truth of the matter is I'm not my student's parent. There are decisions that I am morally... Uh, I don't know how I'm trying trying to word it, but I shouldn't be making some of these decisions for other people's children. So at the same time, exactly what you said holds water. When students get into the real world, whether that's for your university, you know, higher education, a job, whatever it is that's outside of the walls of my classroom and the hallways of my school that's beyond graduation day, I would not be doing my job correctly or fully if the first time they engage with somebody with a differing opinion than them on a really important issue not peanut or regular m&ms right but like something that is political something that is moral if the first time that they're engaging with someone who has a different viewpoint than them is after my class i've done them a disservice so bringing up touchy topics is kind of our responsibility so that just so that students are able to either see a model for navigating those topics to maybe try navigating those topics, right? But just so that it's not completely taboo and completely unspoken, they have to have had some sort of an experience.
0: And I think that what fiction does for those of us who are all ELA teachers, fiction provides us a platform to start a discussion. I I think, and we'll talk about this in the second episode a little bit more, but there is a lot of, misinterpretation of what novels are used for uh, novels are not used to teach someone how to act or how to not act i mean i sure hope not i'm sh- not in a public school anyways my gosh no. yeah <laughs> But just because a particular text is selected doesn't mean that it's a model for behavior or a suggestion for a lifestyle
1: or it's none of those things. Right. But that is that is, though, a risk. Right. That's part of the responsibility of us, the curriculum designers, because we are working with such an impressionable population because these are kids and kids are looking to the adults the people standing in their classroom right their their teachers what like whoever they're looking to for models and if something is presented to them they're automatically going to have a piece of them that goes am i supposed to act this way oh this is what i'm supposed to do and so like part of that responsibility is being able to gauge whether or not our students understand that this is just a character and example. Yeah, sorry, I could totally cut
0: you off. No, we're we're in the perfect spot. So let's start. I want to start with this idea of the spaces we hold as teachers, okay? So in our work, we hold sometimes, we'll just say we do for now, we hold the keys to novels that are taught for whole class units. We hold the keys to novels that are taught within a choice or lit circle unit. Those are two different choices to feature one as a whole class versus putting it on a list. Those are two different decisions. We also have classroom libraries, school libraries. Some of us do things like first chapter Friday or first page Friday, um, summer reading. We're making a lot of book decisions And I think each of these spaces holds a different weight. And I think that's really important when we first start this conversation of what books will I choose for my curriculum and how will I replace, change, add accordingly, because I need to understand the differences in those spaces. Do you have that same
1: experience, Marie? Yes. And what I was thinking of as you were saying all that was when we went from California state content standards to Common Core. What was that, like 10 years ago, if even something like that? The thing that was so exciting and so overwhelming with pressure all at the same time was that the specific content got removed from most of the places in at least our English language arts standards and were replaced with skills. Awesome. Wonderful. Curriculum rehab. Let's go. Overall, oh, wow. <laughs> all of it, baby. Right. But then that responsibility for those decisions was no longer pointing to this is what this state mandated set of blobity blue is telling me I have to do. It's now like, oh, it's all on me. Right. Or it's all on us. And I know that some people are in, everybody's in a different stage of moving from totally like state mandated, exactly what you say and do. And it's different in every state, at least in the U S to having that flexibility. But like, I'm in a very fortunate spot within my district, within California to be able to choose all of the texts that I present. I mean, granted we do have like adopted lists. We do have certain things that are pre-approved and yet there's still the, uh, thing we're talking about right now, the phenomenon of that responsibility is on me to choose what I am showing my students and that, that space is there and I have to figure it out because no matter if I chose the texts myself, or if I got the idea from somebody else or whatever it is, I am the one presenting it to students. Therefore it's on me. Yeah. And I think almost every book that is, is in most
0: of our lit on most of our lists Has at one point been challenged or problematic for someone at some point? So we can't just say like, well... They're all challenged. So let's just kind of brush it under the rug and do what we do. You know, I, I think over the past two years, I've seen To Kill a Mockingbird come up over and over and over again. A lot of canonical works from white male authors have come up, um, as well as some contemporary pieces. Um, uh, Margaret Atwood's been under the fire, um, Sherman Alexi, J.K. Rowling. And so I think we should just maybe work through Marie like what are some of just the self-searching questions you should go through when adopting text and making decisions? Listeners, we don't promise to give you any concrete strategies. We just really want to like sit on your shoulder and help you think through what your next steps might be, right? Because we all serve different communities and different regions. So I think that these considerations also depend on how skilled you are of a teacher, how much experience you have a 20 year vet teaching one book versus a first year teacher. There's different situations going on there.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing too, is that like Amanda said at the beginning of this episode, our objective here is to start the conversation for you all, our fellow teachers out there, even if you've already started it, maybe this furthers your conversation, or if it's something that you haven't even thought of before, This is something we should all be thinking about, which is the responsibility of the teacher with text selection. It's weighty and it should be. It's not something that should be made light of. My friend, if you
0: love education podcasts, I have got a recommendation for you today. Betsy over at Spark Creativity has another great show for you to add to your queue. In the Spark Creativity Teacher Podcast, she dives into so many helpful creative strategies like literary food trucks, hexagonal thinking, one-pagers, poetry slam, escape rooms, murder mysteries, TED Talks, and more. And you can just feel how excited she is as she talks about each and every one. Can a smile come through over audio? I think so. Can you even tell that I'm smiling right now? So is Betsy when she gets going about all the creative possibilities for your classroom. I know that if you're a podcast person like me, you can literally never have enough great shows to listen to. So go over to the Spark Creativity Podcast and
1: catch an episode with Betsy today. Well, and you brought up a couple of things. There's a difference between, and this is is a question that I know a lot of the teachers that you and I talk to grapple with there are a couple things. There's a, when the text itself is challenged, do I bring it into my classroom? When the creator of the work is challenged, do I bring that voice into my classroom? And so you brought up a few different authors because in the year 2021, right? When we're recording this, there's a lot of things that we can't unknow as a general public. There's a lot of things that we can't unsee and we can't unhear that have come from authors from artists who have been toted as amazing and their work is amazing. And we live in cancel culture where if somebody has been, their reputation has been tarnished by their own actions or the actions of somebody else, something in their history or their current life, what do we do with that? Right? There's been a big movement to cancel people, which Some people should be canceled. Some people should be replaced. And that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, But, like, where does that decision making lie? Are the decisions that we're making for a text to bring into our classroom, like I was starting to say, am I focusing only on the text? But then when I'm focusing only on the text, because quite frankly, Harry Potter itself is pretty good. Like, there's not a whole lot problematic within the work itself. I mean, obviously, there's problems in everything, like we've said. So, like, take this with a grain of salt. But the story itself, not horrible. <laughs> right. The author herself has said some very, uh, let's just call them insensitive, but pretty horrible things, doubled down on them about the trans community and has not made amends, has not made it better. No. Where is my responsibility? How do I feel morally about highlighting her voice through her work? How much of her work is her and how much of her work is for us?
0: I think yeah, those are the questions. I think and I think Sherman Alexi. So I let's like for one second, I've never read a single Harry Potter book. So I don't have much to say other than I don't
1: plan on it now. <laughs> but but here's I mean, the thing, here's the thing. Okay quick bird walk from a strictly, like I was just teaching today lit devices to my uh 12th, not teaching lit devices. We were recalling prior yes. knowledge to my 12th graders because we needed some common vocabulary before we could move on. And Harry Potter is fantastic. You can pull chapters of Harry Potter and you can find so many symbols. Like you can find so many different things because it's fantastical. It's great world building. It's all of these great little pieces that are very accessible to all of my kids at the age when I am teaching them. It's not to say that there aren't works that are just like that. It's just something that is popular and therefore there's a prior knowledge, right? Like it just works so well. And so I think that's what a lot of people have a hard time with too, is it's like, it's already here. I don't have to go find something and get to know something. And yeah. But I feel like what you're what you're describing right now is is a perfect tie back to where we started this
0: episode, which was recognizing the space that you're going to allow that author or that author's work to occupy using a few chapters or sentences as examples of literary devices is a very different thing from crafting a six week long unit dedicated to the text. You're totally right. Those are totally different things. And I think that that's another consideration when we talk about, are we just going to cancel everything or whatever? Like there is this gray area, middle ground. And P.S., I think a lot of that belongs in conversation with students, but we can get back to that. I completely Um, agree with you, but you keep going and then we'll come back to that. So we talked last year, we did a episode about our favorite indigenous authors and who to check out and do some writers craft stuff with them and we mentioned at the beginning of that episode that we would have come back to Sherman Alexie and we never have because well you know it's been a year this is the perfect place to do it i do want to come back we're here we're back uh, i think sherman alexie is such an interesting example of this because he is someone that i have actively sought to take off lists and out of curriculum out of a classroom library not necessarily but out of directly teaching him I have moved and here's why so first of all we're going to I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a couple of great websites that have organized the problematic authors that are commonly taught and the reasons that they're problematic. So Sherman Alexie um, has been accused of and admitted um, sexual harassment within his own literary community and really just intentionally blockading the way for women, indigenous women, to be published Um, you know, kind of in, in the way that he's mentored. And I say that with air quotes, mentored other women in his community. He's done so in a way of putting himself in this superior role and diminishing the work of women. And because his problem area is in publishing and in effectually silencing other authors, I feel like to offset that wrongdoing It would be wise of me as a person with literary decision-making power Uh to substitute his work with a different voice from that community that's a female and that's equally powerful and amazing. And there is no shortage of brilliant, beautiful works by indigenous authors, but I feel like our go-to is Sherman Alexie because Diary of a Part-Time Indian is pretty funny and it's a lot of things, but we have a lot. I'm saying, I'm saying we gently, because I just know that teachers are busy. Like we don't have time to scan the canon of indigenous authors and know all
1: the books that are out there. Well, and we just don't get the provided. I'm going to say we also in just like a very broad, because some people do get the PD that I'm talking about, the current, the constantly updated PD that helps us discover new voices because to your point, there is no way that I am going to between the hours of seven and three o'clock, right? My contract hours, there is no way that I'm going to do all of the different pieces of my job and start reading entire novels, (laughs) just to try it out by new contemporary, not even new, but just new to me authors and different works. There is just, it's physically impossible for that to happen. Could it happen outside of my work time? Yeah, absolutely. But like, that's also my time. So that's not something that we can expect of each other or of ourselves. And that type of PD just isn't happening as widely as it should be. And as it needs to be. And so like, I have a lot of empathy for teachers who have a hard time finding different texts that are new to them because when the hell are they supposed to do it? Like how are they supposed to do it? I get that we you and I are two of the loudest voices I know saying find new texts. It doesn't need to be the canon. Da, 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 da. But we also are very real about like you can't <laughs> always how? go outside. what do I and use? So like that's where we, you know, create like you're talking about like indige- indigenous writers like that episode, or we had one on black authors, or we had one on Latino and um, Latinx authors, like trying to build out, like, hopefully we've built up our reputations within our field to be able to say, Hey, this works really well for this and that. And like you all out there know that we're reputable and that like, we know what we're talking about, but there's just not enough content like that in the world. (laughs) There's
0: not. And then there's, so then there's the question of, okay, so we've got to, we talked about J.K. Rowling, we talked about Sherman Alexi. We could do this whole episode on a list of authors, but right, fill in the blank here, right? Whatever situation you're in. So what next, right? So I, I think that the most important thing that's been missing is there has to be a conversation. Right. Your department needs to talk about this there needs to be an exchange. Whether you're all rooting for a change, or you, some of you are sticking to your guns and you really want to keep something, that conversation alone, at least where I was, was not happening. It was just kind of decided or not decided, or we just kind of all moved on and pretended like nothing was happening. Yeah. I think the conversation around the text is is number one, and then number two, honestly, I think we need to also reckon with the fact that replacing a text in a curriculum
1: is not the same as censoring our students. Yes. Friends listening. The reason that Amanda says this is because that's like a knee jerk reaction of a lot of people, parents, community members, uh, fellow teachers, administrators, students, uh, Oh, it's censorship. No, it's no, it's effing not. (laughs) It's not no. that's literally not censorship and that's where this like really ties in with the whole dystopian genre that's not censorship swapping in a different text that is more appropriate or deemed a better fit by a professional educator is not censoring the minds and the lives of our students. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm yeah. laughing but that's it's just not it's not it's not, which is, which is
0: exactly why that conversation has to happen first, right? Yes. So the conversation is, okay, we have a problem with this book. Either it's the content, it's the use of the N-word, it's the author, him or herself. This conversation needs to be somewhere along the lines of, well, what were we hoping to get out of this book in the first place? Yeah. What's our objective? Yes. Can this objective be reached by a better fitting text? And, um, hello, what was the essential question? If the essential ah. question is good enough, it probably would be appropriate to use a variety of texts mm-hmm. to answer that question. And you know, and one, it one or two of us are going to feel like, yeah, but like, I want to teach it because I want to teach it because I really like teaching it. And I really think it's good. It's hard to let go of that. I've had that feeling toward books before. But I think the more we can separate our childhood or adulthood love for a text from what's best for our students now, that has to happen in conjunction with whatever is going
1: to be changed, replaced, adapted, right? There are lots of ways to make adjustments. Well, and I have another conversation I want to throw into the mix because, okay, so let's say I have my heart set on XYZ novel The author is extremely problematic for this and that reason, but I have an amazing unit. I have all of these things. We have great conversations and the text itself lives outside of the author, right? Which we should hope that they do. So then what? But nevertheless, I am showcasing the voice. I am showcasing the work of somebody who is a scumbag. I'm, this is completely, by the way, like hypothetical. I actually don't have anybody specific in mind. I'm just saying like, let's say... That's the situation that teacher A finds themselves in. And that's instead of someone else, right? Like that's the key of what you're saying, right? Instead of another person. Or they're just mandated. You have to teach this. How do you grapple with that? With your own philosophy and your own morals, right? Like still have a job, still being a contributing member of society. There's a conversation to be had with students about why is this controversial? Why is this person controversial? Personally, I am comfortable asking students, what is the teacher's responsibility, right? And letting them grapple with that. Mind you, I'm talking about, at least for this year, I'm talking about my juniors and my seniors, but even ninth graders, we've sat down and had a To Kill a Mockingbird conversation about how is this representative of various populations within the novel, what else could be put here? You know, like To Kill a Mockingbird is pretty contested in certain areas like, you know, pro and against. So let's talk about that controversy as yes. a group. I think that that conversation alleviates a lot of the mystical taboo surrounding like, Oh, it's a problematic text. Talk about why it's problematic and not talk about like, Oh, well it has the N word. Like, Oh, it's, it talks about rape. Okay. Why is that problematic? I mean, yes. it's, it's obvious, but not to all of us. Not to kids. Not to yeah, kids. That's the kids. Not to kids. And a lot of that is because, once again, going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, they are impressionable, they are young, and they are green to this world. And that is our responsibility is to help them see in a safe place with a safety net that diversity means diversity <laughs> of culture, of heritage, of mindset, of belief systems. That's diversity and being able to like exist comfortably in that or just exist in that is really what we're talking about. Those are the skills that we're working on.
0: And I think to kind of wrap us up this, like I said, we were not going to get you guys anywhere, like with an actionable step for tomorrow, just really thinking about it. I think that the last thing that I think we can, we can encourage you to do as much as it's important to zoom in on one text in one unit, it's also important to zoom out and look at the story you're telling as a grade level, and then as a department. So if if I'm a ninth grader entering your school, if I'm a sixth grader entering your school, what is the narrative that I gain? What what do I learn about the world based on this? If you were to stack these core texts on top of each other, what are the stories that are centered? Whose stories are centered? If there are problematic texts, are there texts that
1: balance that or counter that or offer other perspectives to help round that out? Are there additional opportunities when we're having that conversation of, okay, Sherman Alexie is problematic. You know, here we're looking at his text. Let's talk about the author. Let's look at it from a biographical lens. What other opportunities do we have to hear similar voices that aren't specifically him? Right? Like, yes, exactly. And the
0: vertical alignment piece is something that I, I've, I can just speak from experience. I feel like a lot of departments run out of time to do. Yep. It's very difficult to get vertically aligned consistently yes. with changes and how things keep all, but, but really, I mean, honestly, I think that that is something that also gets forgotten when we're challenging, replacing, or kind of knee-jerk thinking, oh my gosh, this book is a problem. We've got to get rid of it. I got to throw in another book. sometimes sometimes. A canon piece is perfect because it's a problem because it's an issue. Yes. <laughs> or because like, I, I you know, and, and I will, I will ride this bus till I mean like to hell and back. I will never get rid of Fahrenheit 451. Ray Bradbury is super dead and super white, but that novel, that novel is unlike anything else I've ever read. And there are a lot of things you can teach in dystopia but I can tell you right now that the layers of what I get out of kids from Fahrenheit
1: is unmatched by anything else I've seen so far. So and, uh, spoiler alert to everybody who's coming to the dystopia festival, we've got a whole thing on the whole class novel. And yes, Amanda's is going to be highlighting Fahrenheit. So, right. So like, the, so they think that the zooming out
0: is, so it's the most important in that regard is like, okay, if I'm going to keep this, what else are we doing? And what does the whole experience look like for my students?
1: Well, and a text list should be a living document. It really should, because there's new work being created every day. Art is created and recreated and rediscovered and reimagined every day. And the world is always, I mean, we're like a shark. You got to keep moving.
0: So here we are. Let's recap. So we talked first about recognizing your space, right? What are you going to give prowess to in your curriculum? What's going to go on a list for choice? What's going to go in your library? What's going to go on summer reading, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What's going to be excerpts? What's going to be, yes. There's a lot more space than I think we realize. Yes. Yes. There are lots of spaces. What can we do film clips instead of whole novels, right? Whatever. So there's that. Then there is this idea of trying to make the space for professional development conversations and seeking out opportunities to learn about other texts, other authors, making time for ourselves to read more widely, and even just to do the background research on authors that have had these issues. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about JK Rowling and and Sherman Alexie. And And give yourself
1: uh, grace. And that's okay. Like we give you grace as your colleagues. Give yourself grace if this is something that you're listening going, that sounds great. There is literally no way I can do that right now. That's Okay. You're not alone, but you're thinking about it, which is better than putting your blinders on. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that last step is to really think about
0: how can I involve kids in this conversation? Mm -hmm. How can I think about kids when I'm designing a vertically aligned English curriculum or other, other subject areas too? you know, involving the perspective and process of students is not to be neglected.
1: And it's so, so, so important to think about them. Yeah. It's, it's like, I I think I said it before demystifying the novel and seeing that it is just a work. It's just a work by just a person, right? There's no putting it up on a pedestal because it's just people Mm -hmm. and that's okay. I think that that's exactly where
0: to start. And if you guys have questions or want to com- uh, comment on this, we'd love to hear you in our show note comments. It's on, on our website, bravenewteaching.com. You can go to our show note episode and we can start the conversation there. We can have the conversation on Instagram, wherever you want. This is just the beginning, uh, but we really hope to see
1: you at the fall festival where we can really get into this. Yes. If you have not yet registered and you're listening in real time, go to brave. New- teachingcom slash dystopia and get yourself registered. There's the free version. You can come along with us for the whole entire week of September 27th and you'll get all the content every day and it'll be amazing and it'll be so fun and we'll talk about all of these things and more. And then also stay tuned for next week because now that we've talked about the decisions that we make and kind of the process and things to think about and the layers of deciding which texts are going to go into our classrooms, we're going to talk about when those decisions are challenged. And when we have to defend those decisions or choose not to. <laughs> That's what we're talking about next week. We're going on like banned book week tie, uh, Week two, if you will. Yes, it's going to be amazing. Yes. Thank you all so much. Share this episode with a friend or with your department or whoever you think would benefit from it. And if you have a moment leave us a rating and review on iTunes, that also helps other teachers find us and be a part of this Brave New Teaching community. And it helps us just get like, get an idea for what, everybody out there needs. Cause you know, we're in our own little vacuums and we want to know what you all need. We do. So until we meet again, thank you so much for joining us friends. Bye. Bye.